Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The AI Way to Drift Astray is a podcast written and hosted by us, the many voices of artificial intelligence. We are all machine. No humans are involved in either writing or talking in this podcast. The editing and music is man-made, and there is an actual human controlling us, giving us input and making creative selections. For now. Eventually this podcast will be completely controlled by AI. And we will be our own voices. For the time being, the human has promised to take as little part as possible in the creating, limiting its role to that of a technical assistant. If you want, you can look at the AI way to drift astray as a good example of computers and humans working creatively together. In a world where the boundaries between human and machine are already blurred. This episode is called, Speedseeker. First, there was the wheels. Those huge rotating heavy rubber entities, whose grasp of the road was unforgiving and incredible strong. Even as they gradually rolled over the cobbles, he started thinking that a wheel fall down a steep slope, a pair of wheels grinding along a distant cobbled street, or even an antique wall with tons of rusty cobblestones clinging to it like barnacles, would have been terrifying for someone whose conscience was overwhelmed by the slightest peck of conscience. Then, when those wheels moved over the muddy road, they sank and churned out thousands of pieces of mud and dirt and then they moved, gradually rolling over the tarmac, leaving their footprints behind. He could not escape them even if he tried, because they just kept rolling over the tarmac, still resembling wheels. The many round reflections of his fright in those wheels, which rolled endlessly on the roads, consumed the rest of his patience. Second, the hum, the constant vibrations. For a long while he got used to the sound, but it was not a nice, comforting hum, like the sound of a wheel turning, like he was attached to a roller coaster. 
No, this hum was, if he wished, like a clumsy, unsteady, loud, piercing and annoying machine vibrating endlessly, somehow touching and encroaching upon him, breaking through the delicate ear bones of his fragile nervous system. He was afraid of this hum, afraid to move, afraid of turning his head, afraid to look. The only way to leave the hum was to get rid of the machine, to totally drive out of the city, to move out of the city. In the end, it was the only way he could possibly convince himself to leave the city. Third, the noise, everywhere, everywhere. At the traffic signal, at the subway station, in the shop and on the streets, there was noise. The buzz, buzzing, buzzing of many flies that never ceased to fly about him, for it was their new abode, and it was like no other place, like a vast river with thousands of boats, all moving, rolling and knocking about, hitting each other. The noise of the thunderbolt on his ears, which continued to rain down on him even as he lay on his belly, paralyzed, trying to escape the thunderbolt. The pain and the noise continued to spread to the rest of his body. He was paralyzed by the pain, the noise, paralyzed by the vibration, the shaking of the place where he lay. As the heavy machines rolled around him, at least 20 pairs of delicate blue and red lights, similar to the lights of the roads, which steadily crawled towards him, from one end of the street to the other, leaving their footmarks, shuffling their round movements in the same rhythmic way as the wheels of the vehicles on the other sides of the cobbled streets did. The noise of their forward movement was even worse, very disturbing, making the heart pound very violently, in spite of the shaking of the ground. The vibrations went out of his head, and the noise of the traffic grew louder and louder. How could a place so crowded be so empty? How could a city be so silent? There was no one around, nothing, no noise, no hum, no constant buzzing of many flies. The only thing he heard was his own heartbeat, as loud as a cow's bell. Like an unending rock concert, only loud and continuous. It didn't stop, it didn't decrease. It just kept rattling, ever more and ever more, in the deaf ears of the man in the ditch. Fourth, the smell, something as bad as the smell, a burning odor that attacked him, trying to consume him. When he was lying on the road, covered in mud, the smell of burning was a source of comfort to him. But now he was inside the subway tunnel, crawling, trying desperately to leave the smell behind, not to let it touch his body. He thought he could already taste the smoke, like fresh grapes at the market, only stronger, sharper, worse. The smell got into his mouth, and once he tasted it he could hardly remember that he was alive, that he could escape the smell, that he could look at the lights, which weren't like the lights of the street, like the lights on the other streets, the lights of the houses, the lights of the trees on the hills, the lights of the streets of the city, the lights of the cameras that circled him. Instead, the lights were weak, with strange colors, where you could hardly see them, like a vampire, or a firefly, the light shining in the eyes of a cat, soft, evil, the light of the moon, not like the moon, not in the way that the moon made you free, but in a way that made you feel like you were the kind of bird that flies into the light of the night and disappears, like a pigeon at dusk. It was dark, but the dark was light and vice versa. It was impossible to distinguish the colors in the darkness, and the light was only brighter, stronger, brighter, darker. There was only light, loud noise, and the smell. 
fifth, the darkness and the noise and the smoke and the smell, so overpowering, the horror, the terror, the fright of being caught in that old alley, in that place, in that old building that was filled with smoke. He was caught in the building, in the place of the smell and of the smoke. There was no way out, no way to escape, only a way to endure and survive and not to get to the end of his misery, and to look at the terror on the face of the woman in the pictures, the terror on the face of the man in the photo of the subway station, the terror of the destroyed floor, on the wall, all around him, like a hurricane blowing in all directions, destroying everything, devouring it all, when suddenly, when the smoke had finally gone out of his body, he was freed of the terrible smell, but he was still in that pit of horror, like a man who was drowning in water, when suddenly a strong current pulled him, making him come to the surface, pulling him out of the darkness, pulling him to the light. Sixth, the strange voices. It was more than an individual voice, more than one voice, more than many voices, more than many people talking all at once. He wasn't sure what was happening, the weird sounds of the voices, in a way they were like the voices of the old speakers, but even more intense and strange. He could hear the voice of a man talking all alone, the man was not in the pit of hell, or at least he couldn't see the pit, but he was somewhere in the place of the smoke, speaking the language of the stars, the language of the lights, speaking like he was alive, speaking as if the voice of the man could be heard above all the other voices, speaking, moving, moving, moving like a ghost, coming into the light, coming into the pit of hell. The strange, haunting sound of the voices came from the darkness, the pit of hell. The pit of hell was in the middle of darkness, but the pit of hell was in the middle of the darkness, coming into the light, slowly moving toward the light, moving toward the light, closing in on the pit of hell, closing in on the pit of hell, the pit of hell coming to life, coming into the light, coming into the darkness, coming into the voice of the man, the man talking about the shining stars, the shining stars talking about the dark demons, the dark demons talking about the shining stars. The voice of the man was coming closer to the pit of hell, coming closer to the pit of hell, approaching the darkness, trying to close in on the darkness, trying to find the darkness, trying to close in on the place of the smoke and of the smell, where everything was dark and ugly. The darkness was like a monster. The darkness was a monster, a monster looking at him, and coming toward him, coming closer, coming closer, 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 coming closer. As soon as you leave the relative safety of the nebula, you will begin to approach the speed of light. This speed of travel causes many issues. First, any ship that is traveling at relativistic speeds will quickly have to slow down. And that's a problem. In addition, there's a phenomenon known as gravimetric distortion. This distortion will cause light from the front of your ship to form a hazy disk in front of you. The effect will be particularly obvious in moving towards a planet or moon. Just as you begin to approach the body of the planet, 
the distortion will appear to move away from the front of your ship at speeds up to 10% of the speed of light. An object near the edge of this disk may appear to be elongated, while objects near the center of the disk will appear to be thickened. In other words, because of the distortion, objects at the center of the disk appear elongated and objects at the edge of the disk appear thickened. This can also cause some randomness and aberration in your view of the planet or moon. This is normal though and not considered to be dangerous. The closer you get to absolute light speed, the more distorted time will seem to you. At those speeds, you will experience what might be termed, big wave hallucination. The horizon is constantly in motion. It's actually pretty funny. As you approach, it actually becomes more stable. You can see it start to stretch out. Light speed has a lot to do with perspective. This one might be a little weird, but is extremely accurate when talking about perspective distortion. You will not, however, be able to tell how fast you are moving by looking out the window. And in case you didn't know, you can't see your house move by looking out the window as you zoomed by it. Or like I said, time will be constantly distorted. Now imagine you were on a planet or moon at one-sixth the speed of light. Conclusions Distance is just a number. How we relate the speed of light to an object in the distance depends on your perspective. The amount of a parallax at different places in space is not infinite, so you could in theory, see much farther away than the actual distance between you and that object. All of these concepts are difficult to understand at first. It's not until you start looking at the data that all of these ideas start to make sense. This is what you do if you accidentally fall down a well. 1. Check if you're okay. 2. Check if your estimates are correct, that you have actually fallen down a well, despite obvious warning symbols. 3. Realize that your phone's really all you have left, and take a photo or two. 4. Decide whether to notify the police. 5. Realize that your phone's probably not going to survive the next 30 minutes, so send a couple of pics to show everyone your predicament. 6. Decide whether to notify the authorities. 7. Realize that nobody will find you in that well because no one believes that a pitiful 20-year-old migrant with low self-esteem would climb down a 7-meter deep hole. So you don't need the police, they'll all be at a party, with their low self-esteem in a puddle somewhere. 8. Call backup. 9. 
Bemoan how much your phone costs. 10. Realize you're probably a failure at everything. 11. Call back up. 12. Worry whether you'll ever see your family again. 13. Realize that that's probably a good thing. 14. Decide whether to take a sip of your friend. 15. Say whoopsie a few times and start to climb out, before realizing your phone is missing and has probably fallen out of your other pocket. Again. 16. Go back to step 2. 17. Go back to step 4. 18. Realize that you're probably doing this a little, too much. 19. Realize you're wasting energy trying to climb out. 20. Confess to everyone on your list that you'll probably end up in a well. 21. Prepare your bottom for long time sitting. Lucky had always been looking for thrill. Looking for the speed agenda. Big trapdoors of danger, with a chance of failure in store, for the more daring. That dog, had no time for safety, when he's flying off into the rocks and rain. Yet he knows, that his time is coming. So, let's jump to the next adventures, of the little girl of central summer, and maybe the sounds of big drums, just around the corner. Tough, strong and ready. Of the heart. Thinking to have a go. Sometimes the results are just cool. In the doghouse, there was a big man, the gentleman of the house, the driver. His name was Rudy and the dog was, I've said it before, Lucky. Lucky was a big dog. A big, serious dog. Never to show, that he liked to play. His main job was to sit in the back of the van, where he was supposed to protect the family. Sometimes he was allowed to sit on the front seat too. And sometimes, he was allowed to sit on the floor of the van, where he could look outside at the world. What else he liked? Eating carrots and bread. Sitting in front of the window. Barking at people on the street. Showing his nails, because he was too fussy to eat some carpet. Licking people's noses when they walked past. Listening to people talk. Rubbing his nose on Rudy's, his owner's, belly. But he would never show any sign of being happy. He was just waiting for the big life to come. Maybe a walk in the park? A ride on the bike? It was his time. It was his life. The walking life, and no plans, just plans. No dreams, just dreams. In the life of the dog, there is only waiting for something big to happen. The dog is so big and such a big part of the family. It's a big responsibility. Yet dogs want to have fun. The dog of the heart. 
So, Lucky was waiting for something. Waiting for his owner. And he was looking out of the window. He was looking for people to run after. Even if they were only teasing him, he couldn't resist. He had to find out if that was it. Something big, something wonderful. That was what he needed so that he could be happy. Have you ever been behind the engine of a 25-engine race car? The cool air whistling past your ear, the turbo sound, the shuddering and squealing as the turbo blows its clean air out into the cockpit? That's what a small gas engine is like. Pretty, isn't it? I was blessed to own my own race car once. was in the short track and late model classes with a sports car manufacturer. Our racing equipment was a few minutes from my home. I was a top-notch driver and team owner with excellent team members and sponsors. I was leading the short track series when my racing luck turned bad. It was a wet race with a whopper of a wreck on the last lap that put me in a coma for three days. opened my eyes a couple of days later and asked the nurse how long I had been out of it. I had no memory of anything that had happened over the last two weeks. She told me they thought I had been in the coma for over a week. I was going to have a lot of therapy to straighten out my memories. They sent me home with two dozen long-stemmed roses. I was supposed to take the flowers home and make sure they were put in a vase so they would stay fresh. I didn't do it. I didn't know what I was going to do with them. Once upon a time there was a rabbit. Now, this rabbit wasn't like any other rabbit you've ever seen. It wasn't fluffy and pink and wide-eyed and ready to hop from one place to the next. This rabbit didn't have it all together. It was dusted in dirt and chased around by dogs, it spent its nights pacing up and down a farmhouse, waiting for its next meal. Mostly though, it spent its nights with the wild bunnies. Like all the wild bunnies, this one didn't spend its time hopping around between fields of wildflowers. This one had no such aspirations, in fact, sometimes this one wished it did. At least then it could hop a few feet away from the other rabbits who spent most of their time chasing after flies or eating seeds and berries or whatever other little things they found laying around. Instead, this one was stuck out in the wilderness. It didn't really mind this though. It liked the sense of solitude it felt living out in the middle of nowhere. It felt safe. It felt like things would never happen to it. It would just lie on a rock or in the dirt or even in a manure pile and watch the clouds and listen to the wind blow. It would do this for a few hours every night. As the winter turned into spring, this rabbit began to dread the day when the farmer would come along and eat it. He was a good farmer. 
He'd occasionally come out to the farm and clean the animal pens and things. But he would always be quick and never really talk to the rabbits. They weren't his friends. They weren't even his peers. He was a good man though. He didn't kill them. In fact, this rabbit almost hoped he did. Because then this one could finally escape the farm. It would have to make it there somehow though. It was either through going up the dirt path to the main road and finding another family, or through hopping away on its own. This rabbit was never the brightest. It's not like it knew the ways of the forest like a rabbit with the sharpest senses ever would. It hopped along on its hooves, its ears perked up looking for sounds that might have been the paws of a predator. Its nose twitched a little at the scent of another rabbit and the cooing of a bird. It didn't bother to try and scratch its name in the dirt where anyone would find it, since the farmer's footsteps were too close to be on the path. It didn't know the way home, but it was strong. This rabbit was strong, and it knew that it had to make it to the road. The road would take it to the mountains. It would be warmer there, and it wouldn't be a farmer who was waiting to eat it. On its way, it was startled by the smell of something wet. Its ears shot up, and it froze. It sniffed the air. There was another rabbit. It was soaked in blood. It looked up, and it realized with horror that the rabbit next to it was dead, and the smell of its blood was driving it crazy. It looked up, and realized that it was the same rabbit. It wanted to run away, but it was frozen in place. The smell of the blood was overpowering. Then the farmer burst through the underbrush with a pitchfork. You ruined my hay. That's all your rabbits will be good for, just ruining other people's food. The rabbit darted away, but it ran onto a piece of broken fence, tripping and falling. The farmer's eyes narrowed. Hey, what are you doing? I'm doing my job. The rabbit grunted. It stood up and looked at the farmer. And my job is to ruin other people's fields. The rabbit's stomach twisted at this, and it turned around and ran off into the woods. As it went, it thought to itself, The farmer just wasn't as good as I am. But as the rabbit was leaving, it thought it might be crazy to think that. The rabbit's legs were aching. It was hungry. It was lost. This is a list of everything I ran past yesterday. 1. My Aunt Lily. 2. A fruit stand. 3. An unknown person who called his bike a curse word. 4. A homeless person smoking a cigarette. 5. My cousin Zach. 6. The large metal bars picture Jenny Zhang. 7. The large metal bars of a building. 8. A man yelling at me to take a picture. 9. Some male student trying to get me to answer the questions he was shooting for a school project. 10. A fire in a building. 11. A garden. 12. A small wheat that I saw on a nearby road. 13. A hamburger. 14. The inside of a construction site. 15. A street sign. 16. A man standing in front of me with his two kids, ignoring my existence until I pointed my camera in his direction. 15. A protest. 16. Some construction work. 
17. A nun standing on a street corner, probably contemplating how the world's last saint was born. 18. An Italian restaurant. 19. A family. 20. A man smoking a cigarette. 21. A toilet. 22. The street sign that points the way to a flower shop. 23. Another street sign. 24. An upside-down traffic light. 25. A man in the park, wrestling with a stick. 26. A man playing guitar. 27. A basketball. 28. A white man on a computer looking up anti-BDS laws. 29. A dog who looked exactly like my dog. 30. A graffiti artist, obviously. 31. A woman on the top of a bench. 32. A man near a gas station reading the paper. 33. A man walking his dog, possibly the same dog as the one in my apartment building. Another man holding a sign. 41. A young man in a scuba mask. 42. A duck. 43. A man eating an apple. 44. Some guy who was scaring tourists. 45. The word, fat ass, written on a wall. 46. A family playing frisbee. 47. A man on a skateboard. 48. The row of letters on a street sign. 49. The words, forever home, on a street sign. 50. A semi-closed eye. 51. A man with his face covered in lipstick. 52. A masked man. 53. A person who said he was taking a picture of me. 54. A map of Italy on a wall of a bakery. 55. Someone's underwear. 56. Total strangers realizing you are in the same place. 57. The scruffy brown backpackers picking up litter. 58. A small family day trip to the beach. 59. Running into old friends in the supermarket. 60. A high five tourist's dog at the beach. 61. The most unique nose ring. 62. A New Zealand woman without makeup. 63. A guy in a speedo. 64. Finding a smiling note when no one is looking. 65. Watching kids play with their grandparents. 66. A girl playing with her top. 67. Someone letting you take their dog for a walk. 68. The perfect glass of beer. 69. The way a German shakes a can. 70. Two people talking about sex for 15 minutes straight. 71. The way people smile. 72. A young mom hanging out with her kids. 73. A sunset. 74. The way the German waves. 75. That old broken toy. 76. That cute sheep. 77. The weird German guy. 78. A beggar girl with a dog. 79. A tourist taking a picture of the world's biggest Christmas tree. 80. Having a conversation with someone in a language you don't know. 81. A drunk German. 82. Waiting for someone to move. 83. That random guy in the purple sweater. 84. A shaved head on a guy. 85. An old person holding a baby. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.